quick, your company is growing and bringing on a wave of new hires, and your onboarding program needs to scale. How to keep the benefits of a more intimate, small group learning experience when you're suddenly serving more than 100 people at a time? This episode is your backstage pass to the world of mass cohorts, and no, it definitely doesn't look like a giant lecture hall where learners sit there feeling bored, passive, and anonymous. Hi, lab mates. Welcome to the Social Learning Lab, a podcast about social learning at work. In today's episode, we examine what it takes to scale the cohort learning experience from 25 participants to over 100 with Dr. Robin Sargent of IDLE Courses. You'll find out how Dr. Robin has preserved that sense of connection and camaraderie while getting real results for IDLE's Academy members. Let's do this. Hi, lab mates. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Learning Lab. I'm Rocio. I'm here with my co-hosts, Katie and Nicole. And today we have a very special guest. Please help me welcome Dr. Robin Sargent from Idol Academy. Dr. Robin Sargent is an entrepreneur, author of the Do It Messy Approach, and a recognized top 100 learning influencer. With a PhD in education, she has extensive experience as an instructional designer, professor, and former director of learning and development. Driven by her passion for creative learning design, she founded Idle Courses, Idle Talent, and Idle Academy, pioneering innovative approaches in the field. She aims to create an idle world for all learners through her work. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Rocio. And we were talking just before, this is a full circle moment for yes, us. Yes, know? yes, yes. I did. I did Idol back in 2021. So it feels like yesterday, but it's it's been a little bit. So now I'm here interviewing you. So definitely a success story right here in front yeah. of you guys. And you got the best boss in the yes, industry. Yes, yes, yes. I do. I do. And I say it all the time, how much I love Nicole and our team and how we came together was very serendipitous, but yay. So today we're going to be talking about mass cohorts as a way of professional development. So let's just get right to it. So tell us a little bit about Idol Academy. So Idol Academy happens to be the first and only authorized vocational school for instructional design and online learning development. And so because we are a vocational school, we see instructional design as a practice. And in order to learn and train in and to become an instructional designer and e-learning developer, we put you in deliberate practice, hands-on learning. And of course, there is a social learning component to our school. And so we're a virtual vocational school, just to be clear. Okay. We've been around for about five years. It's five years this year. I know. Congrats. You believe it's already five years. And we've enrolled over 3,000 students and we have over 600 um, self-reported success stories. I'm sure there's more, but that's how many have self-reported and gotten their Idle Courses Academy mug in the mail. Wait, I have mine. I remember not to derail the conversation, but I remember when you were just starting the idol, uh, become an idol podcast. I was still in my old house with my cushy carpet and better acoustics. And like, it's been really cool to watch it grow from just an idea to this beautiful, wonderful space for people who are trying to enter the field or develop their skills. Yeah. And really in some ways it's, Uh, kind of ruffled a lot of feathers because it used to be that instructional design was something that you learned in a purely 
academic setting and we were the, you know, uh, overeducated nerds in companies running the learning and development department. And so to come along and say, no, it's a vocation, it's a trade, and this is um, how you you know should be trained up and act accordingly in the profession has uh, been a very interesting ride. Yeah, and, and there's, there's people still out there in the field that don't think it's a trade. So <laughs> definitely have had those conversations before. So Thinking about mass cohorts, how many people would you say enroll in a session of Idol Academy? Well, it's changed over the years. I mean, I actually remember just about every number of people that enrolled for every single cohort. And we are actually currently enrolling our 16th cohort. And yes. And so for me, that's how I, that's how I remember every, you know, what every group was like by their cohort number. Like you can say, oh, I was from cohort two or I was from cohort six. And I will know what year that is, what month that was and how many people enrolled. So when I started, it was in July, 2019, my first cohort was 25 people. My second cohort was 25 people in January, uh, 2020, we enrolled 35 people. And I thought like, what a huge improvement. Um, And then in June, 2020, we enrolled 150 students. And at that time, that's also when I started incorporating, um, you know, coaches and mentors because I couldn't serve 150 students all by myself. Um, And from that, you know, June, 2020, we've continued to grow. Um, and so we average about a thousand students a year after uh, starting in 2021. Wow. So each cohort, um, you know, right now we've kind of limited it to 300 because of the amount of faculty and staff required uh, to give everyone deliberate practice and feedback and all those things. So our cap right now is 300 students and we're currently enrolling. So I don't know what the final number is yet. That's, that's a lot of growth. Yeah, five years from 25 students to almost a thousand. And why did you choose cohorts for your flagship program? Like when you started, you said like, this is going to be like a cohort based. Well, funny. I mean, we're talking about social learning, right? Social learning is about like emulating other people and and their behaviors and and what you experience from others out in the world. And for me, uh, I used to be the assistant dean at Shorter University and I was the assistant dean of a professional studies program. The way that program ran is they would meet at night to earn their associates, their bachelor's and master's degree, right? And they would meet once a week for four hours at night, you know, from like six to 10, and they would have a learning team and they would have a cohort. So they would have a group of people that they moved through every single class in their, you know, degree track together. Mm -hmm. And then they also kept the same learning teams throughout, you know, the different tracks, I mean, the different classes that they would go in, which built some really great camaraderie. It built, you know, a built-in network for them. And they always talked about their cohorts. And of course I was a teacher as well as the assistant dean. And then I also enrolled in the MBA program at Shorty University and experienced the cohort model and the learning team firsthand. And I'd never experienced that in any of my other studies. And it was an eye opener to me. It just, just all the benefits that came from that modality or that method. 
And so for me, whenever I wanted to, you know, start helping people, I wanted to do the same format. I wanted people to be connected and to support each other and to network from the very beginning. And so that's why I started with my founding members and I called them cohort one. Yeah, there's a lot of, of advantage. We, we believe over here there's a lot of advantages to cohort learning and, and social learning and, and all the things that go together. And you mentioned some of them. For you, what is the number one single advantage that cohorts bring? Just one? You had to choose one for you. What's the most important one? Results, baby. Yeah. It's asking for the results <laughs> and the outcome. I mean, it is the data the testimonials. So it's like hard data and, you know, all those anecdotal stories that I hear all the time. They get the support that they need. They get the confidence that they need in order to go and reach their goals. And not only that, because they are connected and a community, they hand each other jobs. They refer each other to other jobs. I mean, Rocio, you are an example (laughs) of of the connection of community of getting connected even with Nicole and it just it's proven over and over again in their in the outcomes. Yeah, when when I did Idol actually Nicole was a guest speaker in my course. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> that was that's definitely which one was it? <laughs> I don't remember, was it but I remember Chris? that's the first that was like the the first interaction and then I added you on LinkedIn and then you posted the internship so like one thing led to another. And then we're here like two years later. We've been together for two years now. So, you know, it's amazing. People miss. So I think what Robin is saying is so spot on. So it's results, right? At the end of the day, business wants results. They don't care about all the feel-good stuff. We make connections, blah, blah, blah. But it is that immeasurable stuff. Like the network value of being an idol. And I'm totally hyping this up because I believe in what you've made there, Robin, not just because you're a podcast guest or we're affiliates or anything. I genuinely believe in what you have there, but the network value can't be understated. Having 3000 people who've gone through the same experience, who understand the level of education you've walked away with, who want to support you, that is a value in and of itself, aside from all the performance outcomes. And I think people forget that human like value is a really big value. Yeah. I mean, there's that quote, right? Your network is your net worth. And I think that yes. applies, you know, especially when people are, you know, trying to transition careers. Talking about community, you know, we talked about how the cohorts have grown and they have become larger. How do you maintain that aspect of community now that the cohorts are much bigger, like those connections between people, like what things do you do? How has it changed? How, how, how has it evolved for Idol? There's a lot of questions in there. Yes, I'm just, you know. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's definitely, top. it's definitely changed and involved, evolved in several different ways, like the format of it, the platform that we use, and so on and so forth. So I could get into that if you want to, or I can just tell you that at this point, we have actually completely redone mm-hmm. our academy. And you know, over the years of getting the data and the results and the feedback, you know, what is it that they want more of? And we really have leaned more into a school model. And what I mean by that, it, it is more structured and actually is looking a lot more like what I was talking about having learning teams. So yes, the community has grown, 
that actually just adds more opportunities for more connections. I have a couple of different places that they gather. It's actually called Gather Town. I built it out and granted, we call it the Idol Cafe. People can go into the Idol Cafe at any time to network and meet with other people. And so that's one format. We also do um, group sessions where like they have a leader that leads these group sessions, but they're very informal. We call them idle guide sessions. That's another way that they network. And then the, another change that I've made to the, you know, the new version of our school is to add learning teams. And those learning teams are smaller. They're based on their time zone and they are encouraged to meet every week during their program. And so that way they have like small insular groups and then it keeps growing into the larger community. So there's several different tiers of ways, you know, to connect with one another. And then we even have spaces in our community. We're on a platform called Mighty Networks and we have spaces for different interests, like, you know, teachers, you know, you know, idle teachers is what we call it, right? So anybody who comes from a teaching background, we group people that are freelancers and so on. So we do it by interests and we do it by learning teams. We do it by cohorts. We do it by whether they've graduated. And so there's a lot of ways for people to connect with others. And I've actually met a ton of our academy students in person at conferences and so it just, it starts online, but it extends into the real world. So there, it's a lot of, a lot of focus on community in different aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about um, mentorship, right? Do you, yeah. is that an aspect also? Because we believe that mentorship is a type of social learning as well. Um, oh. A very important one. <laughs> yeah. So it does include mentorship. I don't know if you're finished your question though. I didn't want to interrupt. Hmm? Is that the question? Does yeah, it include yeah. mentorship? What does the mentorship look like in your program? Yeah. Now, for sure, that has changed over the years, right? In order to you know keep the price reasonable in the beginning, it was group mentorship, and then you would get you would submit your assets, and you would get feedback from the academy coaches on every single asset that you submitted. Right. And so that was another aspect of mentorship, but it was more one-on-one, right? They would submit their work and they'd get expert feedback and they would do group mentorship. In this new version of the Academy, because, you know, over the years, I've realized that there there really is a need for more of a one-on-one connection. And so in order to build the best program option, I have included they can now get one-on-one mentorship. And that is just, they just go and click a Calendly link with one of the mentors that we have that are senior instructional designers and up. So they can get one-on-ones every single week. They have the group sessions, the idle guide sessions as we call it, which is a group mentorship. So I still kept that. And then we do a live facilitated lesson. So again, they have another access to an expert in the field to come and get more questions answered. And really that is our effort to do everything within our power to give them all the support and the resources necessary in order to be successful in the field. So mentorship is a huge part also of deliberate practice, which is like my podium that I preach about is that you, you know, you cannot accelerate your skills as quickly as many people want to, and they want to transition into instructional design unless you go through deliberate practice and deliberate practice requires that you have an expert 
coach or mentor, whatever you want to call them in the field that gives you feedback on every single thing, every single asset that you create, right? And you focus on one skill at a time. And as the communities have grown, like, have, has anything surprised you in how they've evolved or something maybe they like took on a life of their own in a certain way? Yeah. I mean, they've definitely taken on a life of their own. I, you know, I used to feel like I had to keep the conversation going maybe in the very beginning, but by the third cohort, it, it really did start to run itself. And I think the, the key to that is that it is, it truly is social learning. They have artifacts, they have tasks to complete, they have goals that they all want to reach. They're on the same path, you know, and especially if they're in a cohort, they're starting at the same time. But what I really found like heartwarming and a little bit, I don't know if it was a surprise, but it was that how many people, when they reach their goals, want to come, they stay involved in the community to give back to those same people that were in their shoes, you know, a couple of months or a year ago or two years. I even have somebody that reached out just the other day and she has now been in the field for over two years and she wants to now come back, right? Still has the community and those people on her mind. Oh, I'm ready to come and give back based on all this experience I've learned in the field after I graduated. So I think that's the most touching thing that I've, I've found about that other people, when they graduate, they are, they become just as invested in giving back to the community as I am. Yeah. That's kind of like a measure of success that you can't really measure that idea of yeah. people keep coming back because they found value and they think that, you know, it can help other people. And, you know, talking about measures, how do you, measure the success of a mass cohort in this case, you know, Idol Academy. Now that's definitely changed over the years. I mean, I didn't even keep track of success stories till June, 2020. I didn't have anybody self-report or any, unless they, I mean, they messaged me, but I didn't like keep track of <laughs> that data. I just, you know, like, did everything because the cohorts were so small. So I, for me personally, every single person was my response, my specific responsibility. So, I mean, I had a hundred percent success rate for all three of the first cohorts. By the time it got to 150, well, then I was like, well, I got to measure somehow. I can't message 150 people individually all the time. So I set up a, you know, an intake form. Um, and then because now that we are an authorized vocational school, we have more requirements about how we need to measure and track data and success and outcomes. And, and so in that regard, that's also another part of why I have, you know, restructured the entire Idol Academy in order to keep people on milestones and keep them moving forward, keep it measuring their progress, and then of course, measuring how many of them graduate. And so I haven't actually seen the first batch graduate yet because we just enrolled the first cohort in the new version of our school last September and they won't graduate until March. But I have a lot more measurements in place 
to see like, okay, how many of them are meeting the milestones? Are they meeting the milestones where they, we think that they should, and are they going to graduate? And then after they graduate, you know, I have one-on-one career coaching built into, into the, into the new program. And so, and their job truly is, this is their job description, do everything within your power to get these people to reach their idol goal. And that's however many sessions they need with the career coach in order to reach that goal. And so I'm hoping all those measures that I've put in place will continue to track and, you know, make outstanding results. But it's, it's kind of been, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but it's been a little all over the place, but I have the measurements in place now. Yeah, I can see that, especially with the growth, like trying to figure out how to accommodate everything. And you mentioned a little bit of the struggles. What are some lessons that you have learned along the way with, you know, dealing with mass cohorts? Is there anything that like took you by surprise? What do you have to adapt to? And I know I ask a lot of questions, but you don't have to answer all of them. (laughs) It's just me trying to break down my question. What are some of the things that I've learned along the way? It's been a lot. I mean, just, you know, you you're like, oh, you just started and you run, you know, you're a school for the very first time. What all are the things that you're going to learn about your communities? I mean, I would say probably the most important thing I have learned is that, you know, you do need people in there that like the mentors and the coaches and the faculty that we have, those I think is a big part of what keeps the community alive. And so I know that community, not necessarily community managers, but they are in a way, right? So for us, they have specific roles, but in many ways they are community managers, right? Because they keep the conversation going. I think that, you know, their value and just what that means to the community to have leaders in the community and support and even specifically saying to the faculty, like your part of your role is community management and keeping the conversation going. So I think that would be one of my biggest takeaways for social learning is just how important the team is to keep that social learning going. How do you keep the team? Like how, how does the team, how do you keep the, the, the oh, what's the word? It's not stamina, but how do you keep the team working like a team? How do you inter- pay them well? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that always works. <laughs> no, it's because of what I said earlier. It's because they come back because they have a why, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they get paid, but they have a why. And that why is that Idol Academy truly changed their lives. And so they come back to change other people's lives. So I have a faculty full of heart and motivation to just serve. So that's number one. Number two is yes, of course, they are compensated for their time, but they are there for, they are aligned with my vision, right? And that is to do everything within their power to support these people to make that transition. And so I think those, those are the components, right? That really make a big difference in our community. And it's not just the faculty, right? It's like not everyone that, you know, gives back into the community is a faculty member. They might just be an alumni or they just might be a student, you know, who maybe has some experience in instructional design there in the academy to upskill. And so they see all their neighbor could use some of their insights. And so 
think it's that combination that that keeps it rolling. Yeah, the the anything that you do, I think one of the first things that you have to figure out is the why. Like, why are people there? Why are people doing what they're supposed to be doing? Because if you don't have that why, and you don't tap into that why, then the experience is definitely not gonna be the same for anybody, for the instructors, for the people in the room, and it's just gonna be another training. Yeah. And they all have this and they have the, a goal, right? You know, we talk about, you know, we're talking about communities and all that kind of stuff. But just kind of like I mentioned earlier, like we know that social learning has to revolve around mm-hmm. something at the center. Mm-hmm. And that center is a career in instructional design, no matter what level that they're all at. And so they are all focused on that career and all the different spokes that come out of that that nucleus of you know, instructional design careers. And so because they all have this, you know, shared goal and shared interest. And, and I got to say, a lot of them share a lot of personality traits as well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we, we definitely attract a similar type of people, which I think is another, I think, you know, back to that earlier question, what's well, something that I've, I found that's, you know, kind of interesting or surprising. And that is just how much of you know, the archetype or the avatar of, of the type of people that are attracted to Idol Academy, mm-hmm. how much of the their characteristics are shared. Yeah. I mean, I could go deeper, but <laughs> I, I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I think that, you know, there, there's a certain level of belonging that everybody's looking for. And, and you know, I found it when I joined Idol and, and there's definitely, you know, a lot of characteristics and we would have conversations and shared experiences, especially those of us that came from a teaching background. There was a lot of commonalities there. So thank you for that, for creating that, you know, sense of community and that sense of belonging and not just another training program where people just go and get trained and then they walk away and they never hear it again. I tell you what, if I would have gotten rid of social learning, I don't know if I would have the same results, but it sure would have been a lot cheaper mm-hmm. to run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> say it. True though, but I'm saying I don't think I would have the same results, right? Yeah. If you could just throw somebody into a self-paced program, right, and let them run on their own, yeah, I don't, I don't think at all that you are going to get the same kind of results that we've had in our school, hands down. And I really? could probably quantify that in some way for you, because there is a cost, right? There is a cost, but when the results are more important, right? Than the cost it takes to run the program. Well, then you you put the resources into it, and so that's that's and it is more important to me, right? What's the point of a school if you're not getting people to their goals? Exactly, and you know it happens in companies too, where like people do trainings just to do training because they don't want to spend the money, they don't want to, and they're doing these trainings every year, and no one's learning anything, and because you know, budget or whatever. But like, if you really put a program together where like people are interacting with each other, because when you have that human connection, you tend to remember things more and you tend to, to that interaction and, you know, showing people how to do things and talking and discussing and disagreeing and all of that, that, you know, takes part in social learning. People are more likely to remember and not repeat, you know, and I always bring up compliance training. Like if we did compliance training the right way, we wouldn't have to do it every year in the sense of like, you know, people get flagged all the time because it's just another checkbox and who wants that? Yeah. I mean, really when you're investing in the performance of your people, 
you are you should be investing in the results and and many times it is worth the investment to build a community around what it is that you you know the performance that you want because that's going to get you the better results and of course that directly ties in many ways to revenue i mean even frankly to the revenue of my school right if i didn't get people results by <laughs> including all the support and the social learning then I wouldn't have the reputation that we have that continues to enroll the next generation of creative learning designers into our program. And it's the same, it's the same with business. Yeah. Nicole, Katie, anything you want to ask, talk? Yeah, thank you. I wanted to go back to the idea of like when you said the shared characteristics and I really, one thing I really love about Idol is the do it messy philosophy. And I feel like having the opportunity to be in that with everybody and like see other people sharing you know, and, and just knowing it was sort of a safe place to do that. Yeah, I really loved that that was an element of the community so that you're not stuck. Like if I were just by myself, it would be like, okay, I would question everything. And But just being able to see other people sharing gave me a little bit of bravery. So yeah, I don't know if you want to say more about Do It Messy, but. Yeah, that's so interesting that you mentioned that as the example, Katie, because that actually came out of the shared characteristics that I found in my student body is that I found that the biggest obstacle for them to move forward was their own perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And of course I recognize it because I also <laughs> am a perfectionist. Nicole, I, I saw her raise her hand. We know that she also is a perfectionist. And with that insight, I was like, well, but you may get over the perfectionist. Well, how can I help these people get over perfectionism? And that is to remind them that this is an iterative process that deliberate practice inquires you to do it messy. And I, it was transformative. It was transformative. Not only did I end up writing a book, you know, to teach people how to design instruction in a do it messy approach, but, but even before them, I just created, it was a, it was a Christmas break thing. I did, I, I've been running, I'm an experimenter. I love that you guys called this the social learning lab because I've been experimenting on my students this entire time. So I actually ran an experiment where I like pulled out a small group out of a cohort, like, so like a subgroup. And I put one mentor with this subgroup and I had her like go through every single thing with this small insular group so that I could get more, um, you know, critical data and an eye on like, what is it that's stopping them? What's keeping them from reaching their goals? What is it that they're not understanding or missing or whatever? And that's what I saw. It was perfectionism. It was self-doubt. It was, oh, everything's got to be perfect before I send it into the coaches. And so I, you know, saw all those results and it gave a spark to me. And that was, think December 2020. And so I said, well, I'm going to give them a do it messy jumpstart. It's a 14 step jumpstart. I built it out and I released it in January, 2021. And I was blown away that just giving people permission to do it messy, right. In order to get out of their own ways, was just so transforming. You go and you look at the testimonials and the reviews or whatever for Idol Academy and anybody from 2021 and on, they all mention, they all mention do it messy. And that's, you know, knowing who my learners are, their characteristics, what's holding them back and just, and finding a different mindset that could help them move forward. I really like that. And I just want to like, double iterate on that because it's interesting because you've been saying it with your business and to me that's 
kind of the thing that puts you in the position of leadership where other people are afraid to take that risk and do it messy, but it doesn't mean you're doing it badly. It just means you're doing the best you can by that given moment in time. But like, even with your business, and I think this is something we can latch onto if you're trying to design your own mass cohort experience, like it didn't start at perfect. Like you've got this beautiful idle world, with these amazing graphics now, but even you are saying like, I did this thing, I tried it, it worked for this size, we got here, it wasn't quite working. So we tried this thing, it worked, we did the next thing. And I think that's a really powerful message because it's it's what learning is and the perfectionism is not really learning. It's like doing what you're comfortable with. Oh yeah, I mean, it's even changed platforms. I mean, we, our first community was on Facebook groups and that did okay for a while. And then the students are like, I'm too distracted when you keep me on Facebook. I'm distracted because every time I get on Facebook, well, then I get, yeah, I see a cat video or whatever. And so then we moved to another platform. And even on that platform, we've probably made changes to the way the community is laid out every single cohort once we moved to that platform. So even this cohort, we've made <laughs> changes to the way the community works. Yeah. And what I hear is it's about caring, listening, and not being afraid to make changes and then checking the results to see what you need to do next. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Sargent, is there anything that we hadn't asked you or we didn't mention or anything that you would like to discuss aside from what we have discussed already? Well, just the only last thing that I would mention is that there are so many benefits to social learning. But I think, you know, just talking about, you know, the emulating others and there's one more thing that I think happens whenever you are like in a community of practice is that you are inspired by others and the work that they do. And I think that is one of the things that is also special about social learning is that, yes, you know, we can all help each other do, you know, task oriented things or whatever. But when you actually get to see someone's outputs or their approach to something, right, you are filled and inspired with, with new ideas. And I, for me, ideas just, you know, that's my bread and butter. It just lights me up. I love being inspired and communities really do that for me and people inside them. Okay. Well, with that, we have come to the end of this podcast. Thank you, Dr. Sargent, for being here with us and sharing your story. Um, we can't wait for our lab mates to hear your, your inspirational yourself. So thank you for being here. It's absolutely an honor to be here. And I just love what you guys are doing. And I encourage you to keep going with social learning. It absolutely is critical to a lot of the success that people are looking for. Thank you. In today's episode, we explore the transformative power of mass cohorts and community-driven learning. Some key takeaways include intentional cohort structures foster supportive and enriching professional development environments. Scaling doesn't compromise quality, but requires thoughtful design and shared growth. The learning journey extends beyond individual experiences. Community-driven learning should remain at the core of professional development. And there you have it, LabMates, another enlightening episode in the books. Now it's your turn. For your experiment, reflect on the episode's insights and create a visual representation of your ideal learning community. If comfortable, take a photo or create a quick digital shareable version. Share it with friends, colleagues, or our own social learning lab community. And let's spark some discussion around social learning. 
You can find the full experiment brief in the show notes or the Social Learning Lab community on Facebook. In the community, you can also share your stories, get feedback and insights from peers, and comment on others' ideas. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, like, subscribe, or share so we can continue to build a supportive group of social learning enthusiasts. Until next time, keep making learning that matters.